So it's Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is, of course, uh, one of those uh, moments in the year where uh, that are sort of a fixed time in the church calendar, and there's sort of some fixed biblical texts to look at. And we've been preaching to the same community for uh, a number of years, <laughs> handling uh, a text that you've handled annually for the last 12 years is always a, a bit of a challenge to not, not to find something fresh or new in it, because there's always something fresh and new and beautiful and amazing uh, in the scriptures if you pray and allow them to illuminate your heart. But uh, it felt like this, uh, this Palm Sunday, like there was something... Uh, something for us in terms of uh, connecting with a sense of mission, connecting with a sense of uh, what God is calling us to do and to be in the world around us. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, uh, one of these uh, beautiful pieces of Scripture. We're going to look at John uh, chapter 12, 9 to 19, and we're just going to go through it as we often do. Um, if you need a Bible, uh, we often use... Um, version. Uh, a lot of people have it on their phone. Bible app, it's a really handy, handy tool. Uh, you can get that on Apple or Android devices, uh, and you can follow along there. The text will also be on the screen, and somewhere, I'm not sure where there, maybe at the back table. If you want like a paper copy, like a, like a traditional Bible to work with, we, we have some of those around too, so uh, we can hook you up with that. Uh, but what we want to talk about this morning is a little bit of, of leadership, a little bit around what it meant for Jesus to lead in the time and space he was leading. And the story uh, that we've talked about this morning is this amazing Hosanna uh, moment where Jesus is recognized as a king. He's coming into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, people are shouting about him. They're celebrating him. Uh, and, and all of that. And there's something in there that, that connects with something I think that God wants us to understand in terms of our role in the world as the church and, and what that means. Um, we see it really early in the scriptures. We see it, of course, uh, even in the Genesis story where God is calling people to take dominion over the earth. He, he longs for humans to be involved in leadership. You look to Deuteronomy and you see uh, this here, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of your God, there's often this sort of call to leadership, this call to uh, people follow, this call to leading in the things that God's calling us to do. When I'm encouraging Toby on, on the way to school, uh, we're driving in the car on the way to CCA, and he's got a good group of friends in his class, and they're all kind of... Uh, a tight-knit group, and they can tend to sort of go off to one side and get in a little bit of trouble from time to time, kind of a blind leading the blind sort of a scenario. Uh, we have one of Toby's teachers in the house. She understands the dynamic of that little group, and and I'm always trying to encourage Toby in that in that place that, you know what, you don't have to follow the crowd. You can be a leader. You can uh, lead them to goodness. Now, he doesn't always lead them to goodness, but, but, uh, but to just, you know, rise up. And so what I'll often do is I'll, I'll play some uh, a sermon. I play T.D. Jakes for him. We listen to, like, Southern gospel preaching sometimes in the car on the way to school. And I'm like, Toby, be the head, not the tail. <laughs> I'm quoting this verse from the scriptures, and I really make him laugh when I say, be the head, not the ASS. And then he thinks that's really funny. So that's why I found this picture of the donkey. Uh, but, we, you know, we want, I think, for the church, we want for you guys as people to be not people who are under uh, the dominion of, of the world, not underneath uh, society, not underneath culture, uh, not underneath uh, the funk that our world lives in, but somehow living above it and somehow living in a different and a counter way to it. And what we're going to see in this text is a little bit of how Jesus was modeling that and describing some of that for us uh, from a triumphal 
moment, but really talking about the way that Jesus was calling uh, them to lead underneath. We're just going to unpack that from the text. Uh, let's just read together. We're going to actually start in 12 instead of 9 and uh, read from the on. Uh, it reads like this. It says, The next day, and this is a text we've already read this morning, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, for as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, Sorry, that's a duplicate slide. Um, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And, and we're, that's really the verse that I want us to just start with, that last verse, verse 16 uh, in, in our text. To understand that's actually this, the key verse. Uh, what was happening in this, in this space is that, of course, Jesus was coming into the town uh, and, and everybody was seeing him. Uh, it, this story is said in the context of the resurrection of Lazarus. That has just happened. He's been hanging out with all of the people who knew about that. People were gathered to him. People were excited about him. This guy, Lazarus, that he'd been friends with had, had died and everybody knew that Lazarus was alive. Crowds were gathering. Um, and, and beginning to see Jesus as the Messiah, right? The long hoped for Messiah of Israel. Uh, Israel was a, a, a community of people who were living under a fairly brutal oppression under Roman rule uh, and really under the oppression of a religious system that was hurting them and tying them down and, and, and damaging them. And, uh, and as they went through this whole uh, celebration, this whole party, uh, it was really only after Jesus was crucified, uh, resurrected and ascended, that they really understood the meaning of what these palm branches and what all of this was about. Uh, when you're a Hebrew uh, person and you're waiting and anticipating the Messiah, what typically happens is that that Messiah person is either going to do what they feel like they're supposed to do, which is set you free from the oppression of Rome and, and set you free to uh, govern yourselves and set up a new government and all that kind of stuff. But when your Messiah dies and goes away, then you just start looking for a new Messiah. <laughs> Right? Like, okay, that one didn't work. It's disposable Messiah, right? Like, that one didn't cut it. That one didn't work. Didn't work out the way he thought he would. He wasn't under warranty. Uh, we can't, how does this, how does this happen? And, and they just move on. But what they were doing after that time, like, they'd seen him resurrected. So something special and powerful is still happening here. And they'd seen him ascend into heaven. But they're still asking, like, what does this mean? Like, what are we supposed to do with this king who went away. How are we supposed to lead in a, in, in a world where our leader has disappeared? How do we understand how this all works? What, what kind of leadership are we supposed to have? Because we could have seen at that amazing turning point in the history uh, of, the, of the world, the birth of the church, and we've actually seen tastes of this throughout history where uh, the church has said, okay, the way I ought to lead and the thing I ought to do is I to build an organizational structure, a government that can rule over people and tell everybody what to do and get them to all step in line and then we will create a wonderful, harmonious, glorious society that everybody uh, will just love, right? And has the church been successful at that in history? 
<laughs> no, it, it, it hasn't worked, right? We have a history of uh, Christendom, and I, if you want to read something on this or study something on this, uh, Vince Marquis in our own community has done an incredible job uh, writing a series of blog posts called The Death of Christendom, uh, where we're actually living in a space in the world right now where uh, that kingdom that we thought we had, where everybody assumes uh, that at the center of, of our thinking, at the center of our worldview is this Christian ideal, that, that's actually dissipating in our culture, right? It's not happening anymore. That, that thing that the disciples imagined that maybe they could build a leadership under the authority of Jesus that everybody would follow and that would just govern the whole Israel nation and spread across the world didn't really happen that way. It happened uh, in an organic way. It happened underneath. And that's sort of what the text is going to talk about. So they're asking, if he was king, why did he go away? How are we supposed to lead? And then along with that, um, there's this idea that um, when you're trying to figure that out as people, um, these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. What they're doing is they're taking his life, they're taking events, they're taking uh, the story, and what they're trying to do is say, does this make sense with what we see in the Bible? Does this make sense with what we see in the scriptures? And so that's just something for us as we are thinking about our role, thinking about our leadership, thinking about what we're called to do in the world. There's something for us in the scriptures. Uh, we tend to so often, and there is beautiful stuff for us to learn and to grab from that, but we tend, when we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do in our career, what we're supposed to do in our workplace, what we're supposed to do in our school, we're often looking for solutions uh, in uh, leadership books and in manuals and do I need an MBA and all of this stuff, but there's something about grappling with what is in the scriptures that's meant to uh, to, to, to help us find the answers. And what we find when we look at that, when we look at this amazing party of people streaming into Jerusalem uh, with Jesus uh, there and waving palm branches, and we see in other texts people putting their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey doesn't get its feet uh, wet, the whole deal. We see that there's a whole different subtext to the party that is actually Jesus teaching us about leadership. And so let's just look at this text. Um, it says this, it says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? So that's a reference to Psalm 18. And what we see in the book of John, book of John is so theologically rich that often what he'll do is he'll take a reference of scripture or he'll take an image or he'll take an idea. And if we're a Jewish person in his day who's been in synagogue school and we've memorized the scriptures, like we've memorized the Psalms, we have them in our heart. When we read the book of John, then that's all gonna come flooding to mind, but we don't have that strong of a biblical background, right? So when we read the book of John, we just see the story and we sort of glaze over it. But the person that John was writing to would have said, hey, that's Psalm 18. The rest of that verse goes like this. Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With boughs in hand, join the festal procession. Bind the festal sacrifice with ropes and take it up to the horns of the altar. And that makes this a very different kind of party. And that makes this a very different kind of leadership for the person in John's day who is reading it. See, what would happen in the ancient days of the temple and in the ancient days of the church, uh, when this celebration, over celebration was meant to happen, 
what would happen is that um, the, the sacrificial lamb would be brought into town and driven into town, and people would be celebrating this moment where their sins were about to be forgiven, where this uh, animal was about to be sacrificed in the altar, and people would be celebrating the, the life of their nation, celebrating uh, that they were going to be set free from their sin, that God would be delivering them uh, from darkness, that they would be uh, free, and that was a party for them, uh, knowing that the Passover was coming, and they would be waving palm branches. And while we watch this, and we see, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, we realize and are connected now with this idea that, wait a minute, what we're about to be celebrating here is an incredible sacrifice. Jesus uh, was acting out the last sacrifice, even in this moment, the sacrificial lamb being taken into Jerusalem, celebrated by the people about to have his life poured out on the horns of the altar. In the text that John is giving us here, he's saying, hey, let's have a party and remember it's about the cross. And so we see uh, in Jesus this, uh, and him knowing this in that moment, and him understanding it and understanding the scriptures and understanding what is to come. Imagine now being in his shoes and walking into Jerusalem with people waving their palm branches, celebrating that you're going to come and deliver them from the hands of the Romans, and you know you're going to deliver them from Rome, but you know you're going to do it in a very, very different way than what they've expected. He's modeling for them just kind of a quiet and a powerful self-sacrifice. And as he walks into the temple, he knows that ultimately... It's, it, it's about him. We see this nod to the cross in the book of John. It goes on, it says, He found a young donkey and sat on it, it is, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. Uh, the rest of Zechariah 9, which this is quoting, which the readers would say, Hey, let's not forget about this part. See, your king is coming righteous and victorious and humbly seated on a donkey's colt. In Zechariah, you have, again, this image of, of sacrifice and of a humble Lord coming into his uh, community and coming into his own. And so we have Jesus modeling a very, very different way of being king than we imagine, right? What is it like when we, when we imagine uh, kingship? And we have images that come out of uh, the Middle Ages, that come out of uh, knowing uh, the story of British history. That's sort of our background. When we think king, we, we can't help but think about the throne. We can't help but think about being the decision maker. We can't help but think about being the person at the top of the org chart, being the person uh, from whom uh, all of that flows. And Jesus is coming in a very different way, coming to be the sacrifice from which all life wells up. And it's a completely different way that life is, is, is flowing through Jesus. And he unpacks that for us, right, a little bit later in John. So it's not just, uh, not, not just John leaving us alone with that, but Jesus immediately has a conversation after he comes into town with a number of people and says, and this is just a beautiful piece we're going to look at in just a second, but uh, after this has happened, a bunch of Gentile believers sort of come into town 
and begin talking uh, to Jesus, which is, which is really cool, right? Because uh, the Israel people are looking at this king, the salvation, all of this, but the first people who get the hint that, hey, there's something a little different going on here are, are the Greek believers who are in town and, who, and they're there for the temple and they're like, whoa, wait a minute here. We know something else is happening. Something else is going on. And they begin to ask Jesus some, some different questions. And the way he explains what's going on to them is he says this. So this is from celebration of Jesus as king. We're going to kick out the other kings and set you on the throne. This is how Jesus describes what's about to happen. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like a throne thing. That doesn't sound like a... Uh, a, a courtroom full of court jesters and party thing. This, this is a different thing. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he says this, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That does not sound like the attitude of any king you've ever heard about or any government leader we've seen uh, that doesn't sound like uh, any of our leaders in Canadian politics. It doesn't sound like leaders in American or European politics. It doesn't sound like a, a king or queen in any other place. Jesus is talking about kingship, though, here. This is what kingship is for Jesus. This is what he's calling us to. Anyone who loves their life, phileo, will, will, will lose it. I, I love that he uses this word, right? There's four words to describe love in the New Testament. And this word here is, uh, it speaks of sort of a brotherly love. It sort of speaks of, of kind of a heartfelt affection. You know when somebody who's like a big brother and Amber, and I'm Amber's big brother, she's more mature than I, but I'm still her big brother, both in size and wisdom and many other. No, that's not, not true at all. But, uh, but I have this incredible affection for her, right? Like, like when I come up and see, see Amber and I come into her house, I mean, we've known each other for years and years and years and years and years. But when I still see her, this, this, this big brother thing comes up and I, and I want to give her a big hug and I want to grab hold of her and, and wrap her in my arms and, and care for her in that way. So it's that word phileo. But if anybody loves their life that way, if you brother your life with that kind of hold on, lay a hold of it, affection, you lose it. Now that doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel. Real deal, right? Does that sound like what we hear like so much uh, in, in, in Christian media? It's, it, you know, like, if God is with you, he's going to bless you. He's going to give you a new job. He's going to give you a new car. He's going to, right? He's going to do all those things which make you feel awesome and healthy and wonderful and secure, and that's who and what Jesus is to you. He's going to make my life more comfortable. Is that the Jesus that we're talking about? Who, who we've heard about? Do we, do you, would you guys prefer that Jesus? That he's going to make my life more comfortable, Jesus? But, yeah. 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 Thank you, son. Well, feedback is good. Come on. Toby and I have been listening to Southern Gospel preachers. Let's hear an amen. Come on. Right? You got to, Jesus is calling 
uh, not a Christianity where the life is flowing into you. Now, he pours his life into us by his spirit. He pours his love into us by his spirit. We are filled, but we are not called to be invested in having our life poured into us. We are called to be invested in pouring life out of us. We're called to follow him in self-sacrifice. That's how we value our lives, as something to be spent. Your life is something to be spent, not something to be hoarded and grasped and, and filled and strengthened within yourself. Now, that's going to happen. I think Jesus is going to pour into you and other believers are going to pour into you, but that's not your job. That's his job and others' job. You pour your life out. And just to make it, he makes it really more clear here in verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, a seed in the ground, that's what he's just talked about, my servant will also be. If you want to follow Jesus, you follow him in being a seed in the ground. That if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And that's leadership, right? That's leadership. Uh, he's got this totally different understanding. Um, and, and, he, and, and he knows it's not easy. And this is a comfort for us, I think, and this is a help for us. Because this is him talking in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Like, he knows what he's calling us to. And he knows what he's about to walk out. And he's disturbed about it. He's troubled by it. He wrestles with it. This is not an easy thing to decide. It was not an easy thing for you to decide on Sunday morning before you came here. Like, I really just want to sit and drink my coffee, and I really want it to be quiet, and I really don't want to go out again and, uh, this morning. Like, some of you wrestled with that this morning, right? Like, real deal. My soul is troubled. I don't want to make this soon, and sometimes it's about way bigger things than that, obviously. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Deliver me from having to do things that are expensive in life. God, save me from having to do something costly. Father, save me from having to give away some of my income. Father, save me from having to volunteer so much of my time. Save me from that, God. Deliver me from that, God. Should I say that? And Jesus says this, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's what you guys are here for. That's what I'm here for. That's what we're all here for. That same thing. Uh, are, you, are we going to save ourselves from the cost of following Jesus? No. If spending our lives is the very reason for which we came. It's the very reason for which we're here. And, and, and the truth is, is that that's where the joy is. Right? And we see that uh, up here in the text, right? Oh, Sorry. For whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Right? He points us to this incredibly hopeful thought. We have such a short period of time to spend our lives. And we, and we just forget. We, we just so often get caught up in the idea that this is all there is, right? That this is all we have. Man, I have one life to live. You have two lives to live. Spend the first one wisely. Come on. 
you have two lives to live, one life now and one eternal life. This first one is to be spent wisely and radically and lavishly and generously. And if we spend it, our lives generously now, the life to come is going to be so awesome and so much better. It's so cool. Right? So we have this very different now idea of leadership and followership in mind, don't we? When we say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and we celebrate the coming of the king. We celebrate a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of leadership that we're called to take on. 2 Timothy 2, and we see this again and again and again in the scripture. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 11 and 12. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. So you want to lead? You want to reign with him? Suffer with him. These are hard sayings. These are hard teaching. But this is where the joy is and this is where the freedom is. And this is the thing that fueled the incredible life of the early church because they were just spending their lives hand over fist and it was transforming the world. They were incredibly generous with their lives. Following the king in self-sacrifice has been and always will be the thing that authentically builds the kingdom of God. It always will be the thing that builds the kingdom of God. Building life into ourselves constantly. And this is a struggle for us. We'll always build a different kingdom. We'll always build our kingdom. So how do we live in other awareness? And so just a few thoughts <coughs> excuse me, on, on what self-sacrificial leadership works, looks like. And again, I didn't take a lot of time to unpack all of these uh, in terms of slides for you. I, I chose other things this week, but one, uh, choosing the needs of others. And we're talking about how we lead the culture around us and people around us. Choosing uh, the needs of others over our own breeds trust. If you want leadership in your culture, if you want leadership in the world, if we want to make Carlton Place a better place and Almont a better place. Uh, being seen to choose uh, the better of another, better of yourself, will cause people to trust you and to trust your voice and to trust the things that you're going to say to them about Jesus. It has to be uh, modeled in the way we, li we live. And, when, when, and you, you know this, like when you have gutted yourself for another person and poured out and helped them move and given them money and done whatever it is that you can to help your friends uh, do better in life even than you're doing, uh, those are the people that you can speak to, that you can say, hey, uh, would you consider just coming to church with me? And because I think you could have an encounter with Jesus there. And if you've helped them and if you've chosen them, then they're going to be much more likely to be able to come into that space with you and know that it's safe and know that you're safe because you poured yourself out for them. You've chosen them. Uh, pouring out affection to others, right? Remember how we talked? We have this desire to draw affection into ourselves. Uh, it's such a challenge as a leader. It's such a challenge as people that we want to draw attention to ourselves. We want to draw life to ourselves. Uh, we want to be the peacock, 
right? We want to, to show everybody what's going on in our lives. I had a talk uh, uh, with this is, is from an old talk that I used to do with, uh, with young guys in our, in our church because um, they were sort of trying to figure out how do I date, how do I, how do I attract the females, right? Uh, and, and the guys would be like, okay, so, so how do I do this? How do I find the right mate? How does that all work? And I watched them out in the room with the girls and they'd be talking to them and they'd be like, and all loud and aggressive and like, I'm like, dude, you're a peacock. Be the owl. The woman is not going to trust the peacock. The woman is going to trust the owl. Do the head tilt. Listen. Inquire. Find out something about her. You don't need her to see all about you. You, you want to invest in her. Right? If you want to be a leader in your relationships and in your family life, be the owl and not the peacock. The same thing is true if we pour out infect, uh, affection and care and notice people and, and love them rather than looking to see that affection and is, is poured out on you. That's going to be attractive. That's actually what's attractive. Attracting someone is never attractive. <laughs> right? Caring for someone is attractive. Loving them is attractive. Uh, choosing joy multiplies hope. Right? We find in the midst of, of self-sacrifice, it's possible to get uh, negative. It's possible to become depressed. It's possible to become uh, uh, torn in on ourselves and, and just kind of broken about that. But, but to see that uh, gift of what you're giving to other people as something that is leading to eternal life, um, that uh, lets you do sacrifice with joy and it brings hope. And I see this in the checkout line at the grocery store. I see this at Walmart. There's a couple of people that I naturally, you know, I sort of make it through Walmart every couple of days on the way back from a meeting or whatever and pick up a few groceries on the way home. And I actually specifically target specific uh, people in the checkout line, people who I know that they just don't like being there and they don't like their job and they don't like being stuck in that space. And I'll, and, and I, I gotta tell you just how painful this is for me as a human being because I'm a competitive dude, but sometimes I pick the longer line to connect with that person. Right, like that's deep, deep self-sacrifice for me, right? Because like normally like I want to scan it and I'm like, okay, they've got that many bags and they've got that many bags of stuff and I think I'm gonna, which ones are the, that cashier's kind of slow, that cashier's kind of fast, that cashier's kind of young and spry, I'm gonna go to that one because she's gonna get more stuff through faster and I'm gonna get out the door before anybody else and I've got this like, like game on, let's get out of here, let's get it done. But sometimes it's like choose the slower line to connect with the person who doesn't want to be there. And you know what, those people, when you connect with them, if you like in that moment notice them and you're choosing joy, like nobody is joyful coming out of Walmart, right? You stand out if you are joyful coming out of Walmart. Like you're like a beacon of light. I'm not talking about fake joy. I'm not talking about, hey, how are you? I'm talking about like just authentically joyful about what God's done in your life and people will connect with it and so I know some of these people's stories now like in a, in a moment of figuring out you know debit or whatever I actually sometimes don't tap so that I mean and that's painful for me too so that I can have another couple of moments with a person pray for you. yeah 
I know, I know, I need some prayer. For sure, you pray for me all, all, as much as you want, right? Um, be, you know, like just a few moments with a person, like means a lot. And I, I find out, you know, little things about how's your family doing? Have you ever asked your cashier how her family's doing? How's your family? So it looks like you're struggling today, and you know, what, you know, what can I be praying for? I was asked, you know. And so there's like choosing joy in that space uh, creates an invitation, and it multiplies hope in that person. And you always see, you know, a little bit of life, a little bit of joy, a little bit of something coming into their lives. Uh, forgiveness and grace. Again, this is another self-sacrificial way to love one another, and a huge challenge, and just sermons to unpack what that's all about. But if you create an environment of grace and forgiveness around you, uh, in your community and with the people that you work with and in the school, that you are not touchy, that you are not easily offended, that you um, pour that out. And again, this is not easy and this has not been my perfect experience. I can't speak to myself being a beautiful person in this. But if we can be uh, people who are people of grace, then it becomes safe for others to take risks around us, right? It becomes safer taking. Uh, generosity multiplies blessing. I, I hinted at this earlier. Um, we're called to just pour out our lives and give our lives away and give our wealth away. And, and, and it's going to be okay because uh, other people are called to be generous and pour their lives and their wealth into your life. So if we're generous and, and we don't do it for this reason, but God is not going to let you starve. He's not going to let you start. We see this incredible model of it in the early church. Uh, a whole pile of the book of Acts and, and Paul's writings is actually written around the passing and the collecting of an offering for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem gave and gave and gave and gave in an incredibly self-sacrificial way. And so Paul went out uh, into the world where he was preaching to the Gentiles and he said, hey, uh, the Jerusalem church, these, these beautiful Jewish people that gave their lives to the Lord and poured themselves out and sent out so many missionaries and did all of this work, we want to pour something back into their lives. And, and Paul went all over the Roman world collecting an offering to bless the church in Jerusalem. They just poured their lives out freely, but God spoke to Paul so that he would have something to pour back into their lives. And the same is true. It just multiplies blessing. Uh, followership has to be modeled. Uh, there's ways in which if you're leading something uh, in, your, in your company, in your work, in your school, and when you need to take off your leader hat and you need to be the servant. Did you know that Kathy Moore Crispin is my boss sometimes? Kathy's my boss. When, we're, when you guys are all gone and you've all left this place and you're headed home in your cars and you're going back to your, your, your dinner, my pastor hat comes off and I walk down that hall and I say, okay, boss, what needs to be moved and what needs to be done? And we'll just move chairs and we'll tear down the kids' room and we'll pick up toys and we'll do whatever it is that we need to be done and we take direction. Kathy becomes my boss in that moment. And anyone who sees knows that there's not any job in this church that is uh, not important enough for me to do. Right? We have to model this. We have to be the leader who picks up the garbage on the floor. That's what I love. Actually, in this school, uh, one of the first times I ever saw this, you'll look, go down the hall, you'll see a picture of a principal. Uh, some of you who went to the school may remember uh, Mr. Kilpatrick. We 
uh, not affectionately called him the weasel because we were evil children. And, uh, and he had kind of a squished face and, and a very tall man, and he ran the school probably better than it's ever been run. But one of the things we saw in that man as he walked up and down the hall was that he would see a little scrap of paper on the floor, and he would walk down the hall, and he would just bend over, and he would pick it up and put it in his pocket and make its way down to the trash as he wandered the halls. Mr. Kilpatrick was the custodian, right? It's a leadership that we're called to. We're called to model it. And then just uh, finishing this last thought, everything that you give, everything that you pour out, uh, acknowledging the kingship of Jesus in your life and following him in his self-sacrificial way, everything that you pour out in your life will come back in eternity. Multiplied. It's worth, it's not just spending it, it's investing it in a glorious and beautiful and amazing future that God has for you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with him. There's reward in the end. It's so worth living in this way. It's so worth it. Let's stand up. So there's always out of a sermon, hopefully, next steps for us to take. Uh, for some of us here, um, maybe uh, you've never taken the step of saying, hey, I am willing to let Jesus be my king. I'm willing to let Jesus lead me. I'm willing uh, to, to, to become a follower of Christ. And you might be here, you might have uh, maybe just never known how much he loves you or how much he cares about you. You may have never experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit or a sense that, hey, hey, he's near to me. Maybe you experienced that for the first time in worship. Maybe you're experiencing it for the first time now. But if that's you and you're experiencing uh, a draw towards following Jesus and letting him be your king, there's just a simple uh, prayer to pray in your heart to begin that journey. That's just, hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Hey, I, I know that I've, I've done things wrong. You've done an incredible sacrifice for me and I'm willing to accept and receive uh, the gift of salvation that you've given for me. I'm willing to start following you because you've proven to me that you love me. And so if that's you and you're here and you need to accept the kingship of Jesus in your life, just welcome you to take the step. Like he's modeled the deepest self-sacrifice for you. He's modeled incredible love for you. These steps that he took into Jerusalem led to the horns of the altar ultimately to be a sacrifice. He did it with you in mind and he loves you and he wants relationship with you. So if your first step is saying, Jesus, uh, would you be my king? I'm just going to say a prayer right now and just enter into that into your hearts and maybe you need to just rededicate your life to Jesus. Jesus, uh, I confess that we're all people with brokenness. We're all people with pain in our lives. We're all people who have made mistakes. For anyone who's here uh, wrestling with the question of could you be their king, would you just speak to them in this moment? And let them sense your invitation of love, calling them into friendship with you. Would you let them know that you're a king, a leader that they can trust? You're not an overbearing king. You're not a controlling king. 
you're a servant king and you love them. Would you invite them on this incredible journey of self-sacrificially following you? Give them courage to open their hearts. And for uh, those of us who have already decided that Jesus is our king, uh, reconnecting with this uh, radical, self-sacrificial way of following him is, is the thing for us. So I'm just going to pray for a moment, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, we know he's always present, but I want him to come in a way that his voice, his heart, his thoughts are, are manifest, are, are real to us. just asking that the Holy Spirit would come and speak to you about your next step, whatever it is, in following him. Your next step of generosity, your next step of pouring out your life for another, of reversing the flow from being someone who is always taking life in to becoming someone who is pouring life out. Father, first we celebrate the incredible generosity. We see so many uh, people living in this incredible, generous way. And I ask that uh, there would be a real a reality to uh, you filling as we pour out. That we would feel a, a sense of uh, having an abundance of your life to give. And knowing that you will fill us, knowing that there's joy for us in eternity, knowing that there's amazing future ahead for us, and knowing your supply, would you show us what our next steps in generosity are? What are you calling each of us to, Lord? How are you calling each of us to follow you? give each of us one little next step, Lord. Thank you, Father. We trust that you've spoken. Trust your goodness. We trust your generosity. We trust uh, the life that you've poured out for us. We trust the coming of the resurrection that we're going to celebrate next week. And so we know that our lives are meant to be spent. So we offer them to you. Pour us out as an offering. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.